Okay, so Leviticus 26. Reward for obedience. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decree and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want and live in the safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lay down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favour and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not arbor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and alba my laws, and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain, because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. If after all, all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron, and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain, because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. If you remain hostile towards me, and refuse to listen to me, I will multiply your afflictions seven times over, as your sins deserve. I will send wild animals against you, and they will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, and make you so few in number that your roads will be deserted. If in spite of these things you do, not, you do not accept my correction, but to continue to be hostile towards me, I myself will be hostile towards you and will afflict you for your sins seven times over. And I will bring the sword on you to avenge the breaking of the covenant. When you withdraw into your cities, I will send the plague among you, and you will be given into enemy hands. When I cut off your supply of bread, ten women will be able to bake your bread in one oven and they will dole out the bread by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. If in spite of this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile towards me, then in my anger, I will be hostile towards you, and I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols, and I will arbor you. 
I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries. And I will take no delight in the pleasing aroma of your offerings. I myself will lay waste to the land so that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lays desolate and you in the countries of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbath. All the time that it lays desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbath you lived in it. As for those of you who are left, I will make their hearts so fearful in the land of their enemies that the sound of a wind-blown leaf will put them to flight. They will run as though fleeing from the sword, and they will fall, even though no one is pursuing them. They will stumble over one another as though fleeing from the sword, as, even though no one is pursuing them, so you will not be able to stand before your enemies. You will perish among the nations, the land of your enemies will devour you. Those of you who are left will waste away in the lands of their enemies because of their sins, also because of their ancestors' sins. They will waste away, but if you, if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile towards them, so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. For the land will be deserted by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lays desolate without them. They will pay for their sins because they rejected my laws and arbored my decrees. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or arbor them so as to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God, but for their sake I will remember the covenant with their ancestors who I brought out of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. These are the decrees, the laws, and the regulations that the Lord established at Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites through Moses. Uh, good morning, everyone. Hope you're enjoying freedom. Well, it's been a longish journey through the book of Leviticus, but today and next week, we finally come to the end of this strange but fascinating book. What are we to make of it? Well, today in Leviticus 26, we get to reflect on the wider purpose for God giving all of these laws to the people of Israel. It's sometimes easy for us to get lost in the minutiae of the various laws that are talked about in this book. But all of these laws need to be placed within a wider context. And that's the context of God's covenant with the people of Israel. And this is where Leviticus 26 can help us. This chapter is one of the key chapters in the Old Testament for understanding the way in which God's covenant with the people of Israel worked. We basically get a list here of the various blessings that would be experienced by Israel on condition of obedience, along with the various curses that would come down against Israel if she were to prove to be 
disobedient. So within that context, what we see here is that all of the laws that were given to Israel, they were actually designed to function as the terms of the covenant. In addition, following the terms of the covenant leads to blessing, but breaking the terms of the covenant leads to curse. Now, overall, this chapter can be divided into three parts. We have three key commandments repeated in verses 1 and 2. And after that, we have the blessings of the covenant given in verses 3 through to 13. And then all the rest of the chapter is dedicated to looking at the curses of the covenant. What then are the key commandments that are repeated in verses 1 and 2? Well, these are the commandment against idolatry, the commandment to keep the Sabbath, and the commandment to revere God's sanctuary. Overall, these key commandments summarise the commitment that the people of Israel were to have in their relationship with God. You see, there is only one God, one Lord, meaning that only God can be worshipped by his people. So the issue of idolatry is very serious. Idolatry strikes at the heart of the relationship with God. Whether it be idols or images or pillars or carved stones, Israel was not to make any idols or to bow down and worship them. To do so would equate to a rejection of God and rebellion against his rule. The commandment regarding the Sabbath covers not just the rest on the seventh day of every week, but also the year-long Sabbath that the land was meant to enjoy every seventh year. And for Israel, the extent to which they kept these Sabbaths would reflect the level of their trust in God. And finally, the command to revere or to respect God's sanctuary. This command most likely captures all of the commandments that related to the tabernacle such as the laws about sacrifice and how the tabernacle was meant to be kept free of ritual impurity. And the extent to which the people of Israel revered God's sanctuary, well, this would reflect the level of their reverence for God himself. So overall, these three commandments summarise the kind of attitude that we are to show to God. There needs to be an attitude of exclusive worship, trust, and respect. And this kind of attitude was required in order for Israel's relationship with God to work out well. As we turn to the second and third parts of our passage today, please notice how God's relationship with Israel it had a conditional aspect to it. And we can see this in verse 3. It says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then the blessings of the covenant 
which are recorded in verses 4 through to 12, will be experienced by Israel. But first of all, did you notice the word if at the start of verse 3? If Israel walks in God's statutes and keeps God's commandments and does them, blessing will come. It is clear then that even though the old covenant was a gracious covenant, just think about all of the laws for sacrifice that we've seen in the book of Leviticus, these enabled Israel to experience the forgiveness of sins. But even though the old covenant was a gracious covenant, it still required obedience on the part of Israel in order for the blessings of the covenant to be experienced. The obedience required was obedience performed in the context of grace. But obedience was still required. There needed to be a level of commitment on the part of Israel to doing the law of Moses. And notice here how Moses uses the language of doing. It's a little bit masked in the NIV translation. I think the NIV just translates it as carry out. But actually, it's the word to do. Israel was to do the statutes and commandments. Israel was required to do the law. In the language of the Apostle Paul, the old covenant required the works of the law, the doing of the law. It required obedience to the law of Moses. And in order for Israel to experience blessing under the old covenant, they needed to be committed to following God's law, which spelt out for them the terms of the covenant. But what are the blessings that were on offer to Israel if she proved to be committed to God in obedience? Well, in verses 4 through to 12, basically we see the blessings of the covenant and they can be described as rain, agricultural fruitfulness, peace, safety, and God's presence in their midst. Have a look in particular at verse 9. If Israel were to be obedient to God, they would experience God's favour and be fruitful and multiply. Where have you come across the language of being fruitful and multiplying before? Anyone remember? Well, hopefully you remember back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the creation mandate. This was the blessing that God pronounced over humanity after humanity had just been created. They were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The key to humanity being blessed lies in our obedience to the word of God. And God's covenant with Israel was meant to be a kind of fulfillment of this creation blessing. According to verse 10, if Israel were obedient, she would be blessed with so much food that the task of consuming all of the old food would mean never getting to eat any of the new food. There'd just be so much food coming in. And according to verses 11 and 12, the climax of the blessings would be experiencing God's presence. God would be with the people in their midst 
God would walk about with them and God would be their God in the full sense of that concept. And the people of Israel would truly be God's people. In verse 13, God recounts how he had saved Israel from slavery in Egypt and set them free. The implication is that the exodus from Egypt was just the start of a journey that was supposed to lead to the fullness of freedom in a loving and obedient relationship with God. So here we can see that for the relationship between God and Israel to reach its deepest and most intimate point, obedience was necessary on the part of the people of Israel. But what about if Israel didn't obey? Well, this is where verses 14 to 45 come in. And notice once again the conditionality of the covenant. In verses 14 and 15, if Israel didn't listen to God or obey, if Israel didn't do the works of the law, but instead broke the covenant with God, what would the consequences of that be? Well, basically, not very good at all. In fact, according to the description of the curses of the covenant here in verses 16 through to 39, there are five stages in the application of the curses. And the idea is that in response to Israel's disobedience, God would apply each stage in the hope that Israel might be chastened and turn back to him. But if they didn't learn the lesson, then the next stage of the curses of the covenant would be unleashed. And you can see as we go down, they get increasingly more negative. Well, then, what are these stages and what curses are involved? Firstly, in verses 16 and 17, we have the curses of disease, agricultural failure, and being ruled over by one's enemies. The second stage in verses 18 to 20 talks about drought and crop failure. The next stage in verses 21 and 22 speaks of the loss of the lives of the human population, as well as the loss of numbers of livestock due to attacks from wild animals. The fourth stage in verses 23 to 26 speaks of pestilence, military defeat and famine. And finally, in the fifth stage in verses 27 to 39, if Israel continues to oppose God, there are the terrible curses of cannibalism because of hunger, the destruction of Israel's places of worship, both legal and illegal places of worship, the destruction of Israel's cities, the settlement of their land by enemies, the scattering of the Israelites among the nations, and their death in a foreign land. So overall, if the terms of the covenant were not kept, the terrible curses of the covenant would come down against the people of Israel. It's something you'd think 
that people would want to avoid. Now, during the fifth stage, which is the worst stage of the application of the curses, the stage of military defeat and exile, this is when, sure, things are going to be the most severe for the people of Israel. But it's interesting to notice how there'd also be some benefits that would result from all of this destruction and the exile of the people of Israel. And we get basically three benefits being mentioned altogether. The land will have rest and God will remember his covenants and not reject Israel. According to verses 34 and 35 and also verse 43, while the land of Israel lies desolate and free of the people of Israel, it'll get to enjoy the Sabbaths that had been denied it previously by Israel not giving the land its annual rest every seven years. So the land will get to enjoy its rest. As for the idea of God remembering his covenants, this is talked about in verse 42 and verse 45. According to verse 42, God will remember his covenant with Jacob and he will remember also his covenant with Isaac and also his covenant with Abraham. Do you notice the order there? It goes from Jacob to Isaac to Abraham. That's a bit of a strange order, really, because usually God talks about his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and goes the other way. And that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the historical order. But here in this instance, God goes from the latest back to the earliest, from Jacob back to Isaac, then further back to Abraham. And I think this is in this order here because it's stressing how God will remember his promises to the patriarchs of Israel no matter how far back it is. And in verse 45, God also promises that he will remember his covenant literally with the former ones who I brought out from the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. Now, this is referring to the covenant with the Israelites that was made at the time of the exodus from Egypt. And this is the covenant that God entered into with Israel at Mount Sinai, where, by the way, Israel still happened to be located as God was saying this. God had saved Israel from Egypt with the purpose that God might indeed be their God. No matter how sinful and rebellious Israel might be, God would still be their God. At the same time, however, verses 40 and 41 note that God acting to fulfill the positive aspects of the earlier covenants that have been mentioned here, the covenants with Israel at Sinai and then with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of this was conditional upon Israel, humbly confessing her iniquity and also the iniquity of her ancestors. And it was also conditional upon Israel making amends through repentance. 
As for the third benefit mentioned in verse 44, God says that even after Israel has come under the curses of the covenant in exile, I will not reject them and I will not detest them to put an end to them for breaking my covenant with them, for I am Yahweh, their God. Friends, do you see how much God is faithful to his covenants despite how unfaithful Israel would prove to be? God will not ultimately reject his people. Instead, he will remember his covenants and in the end he will act to bring about blessing for his people despite their sinfulness. So, overall, what can we learn from this chapter today? Well, I think there are at least three key lessons for us to consider. Firstly, it's good to be reminded that our relationship with God, just like the Israelites, requires an attitude on our part of exclusive worship, trust, and reverence to God. Secondly, stemming from the idea that the old covenant was a gracious covenant, but Israel's experience of blessing or curse within that covenant was dependent on Israel's obedience to the law of Moses. But all of that helps us to reflect upon the new covenant today. And what we see is as we look at the New Testament, we do see that under the new covenant, there is also an element of conditionality. Under the new covenant, to experience eternal blessing or to experience eternal life, there's a condition that must be met. And that condition is described in various ways, but it's generally talked about as being the condition of faith or the condition of obedience or the condition of repentance. These are just different ways of talking about the same positive response to God and his word that we are to show. At the same time, however, we also need to be clear that faith under the new covenant isn't exactly the same as what faith looked like under the old covenant. And this is something that the Apostle Paul stresses. Faith under the new covenant isn't defined by the law of Moses, but by the gospel teaching of Jesus. You see, the terms of the new covenant are not exactly the same as the terms that were given to Israel at Sinai. The terms of the new covenant are spelled out in the gospel. They're taught to us by Jesus and the apostles, not by the law of Moses per se. And finally, it's good to be reminded that God is faithful. God is faithful to his covenants, no matter how unfaithful his people might prove to be. The promises that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to Israel, as we read through the Bible, what we see is all these promises find their fulfillment through the new covenant in Christ. God's original intention to bless humanity and which was mediated through Abraham and then through Israel, this ultimately comes about through the new covenant in Jesus. 
Now, friends, we at times might experience the effects of God's curse, but in the end, thanks to God's faithfulness and mercy as revealed in Jesus, it is blessing that will triumph, not curse. We should be thankful to God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through this long journey that we have gone through, looking at the book of Leviticus, we're finally getting close to the end. And we thank you that Leviticus 26 helps to put all of the laws that we see there in the book of Leviticus into the bigger perspective of your covenant with the people of Israel. And even in the perspective of the earlier covenants that you made with people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord God, we thank you for reminding us today that we, just like the people of Israel, needed to be committed to living your way and living out the terms of the covenant. And even though today we are members of the new covenant, not the old covenant, but yet, Lord, we know today there is still an element of conditionality. There needs to be faith a faith commitment in order for eternal life to be experienced. And so, Lord God, as we reflect upon these things today, in the light of your great faithfulness, which you showed the people of Israel despite their rebellion against you, we also ask, Lord, that you would help each one of us to be faithful in the context of this new covenant, which you have invited us to be a part of. Lord, in the light of your faithfulness, in the light of your mercy, we pray that you would grant to each one of us the gift of perseverance and faithfulness to you. That we would be able to reflect in our own lives your character. And as we do this, we pray, Lord, that not only for us at HPCC, but your people throughout the whole world, that the blessings of the new covenant will be unleashed and experienced by many, many different people from all the nations of the world. We thank you for how in Jesus all of your promises are fulfilled. We give thanks to you for the blessing that is available through faith in him. Amen. Let's get stuck into the Q&A questions. Um, I don't think there's anything on Zoom, so we'll just go with Padlet for now. All right, so first question uh, for Steve. What does the requirement for obedience in the New Covenant mean regarding predestination? Yeah, it's a good question, that one. Uh, basically, what we see is in the Bible is that the key to blessing being experienced is having God's word in people's hearts. Okay. And so what we get in the old Testament is basically this special relationship that God has with the people of Israel. There's a conditional aspect to that, as we've seen today. So Israel needs to be able to live out their lives following the terms of the covenant, following the law of Moses. But the problem historically was Israel didn't do that, okay? Sure, there was some, uh, like a small number of people, a minority within Israel who 
were committed to living out the law. But the problem was when you've got the majority not committed to God, then you get the curses of the covenant coming down upon the nation as a whole. Mm. So there are some faithful people within Old Covenant Israel who, you know, in accordance of God with God's promise, they should have experienced blessing. And to some extent they did. But the problem is because they're surrounded and living in a sinful majority, the curses of the covenant come down upon them too. So just think about it. People like Ezekiel. Ezekiel was someone who was faithful to God, but yet he got taken off into exile. So there's a problem there. And as the Old Testament prophets reflect upon all of this, they see the solution to this is actually God doing something in the future. He's going to send his Messiah who's going to break the power of sin and pour out the spirit in a much bigger way such that God's going to write his law in people's hearts in a much bigger way compared to what happened back in the time of Old Covenant Israel. And all of that's talked about as being the new covenant. So the new covenant is all about the Messiah coming, breaking the power of sin, making atonement for sin, pouring out the spirit so that there's going to be a more positive response, not just within Israel, but actually throughout the world now as the gospel goes out. So as God's word goes out, the key is it needs to get into people's hearts. How is that going to happen? That can only happen by the spirit implanting the word in the hearts of people okay and that's where predestination comes in who does the spirit go to the spirit goes to the people that god has chosen that the spirit is going to go to and soften their hearts interesting yeah predestination does that make sense in the end it's the work of the spirit that enables the conditions of the covenant on our part to be met, hmm. right? So faith on our part is something we do, yes, but we can only actually have that response as the spirit allows God's word to come into our hearts, to be received and then to be lived out. So it all fits together quite nicely, I think. Yeah. Hopefully whoever asked that question, uh, yeah, that's hopefully that's a satisfactory answer. Predestination is always uh, very interesting um next question uh we, can we say something like an earthquake is a curse for new covenant disobedience or is an earthquake just an earthquake and we shouldn't read too much into it yes it's a little bit hard to know these days it is possible for an earthquake to be viewed as a god's curse against someone we see that in the old testament in the book of amos in particular if you have a look at the book of amos there was an earthquake uh, which is mentioned and uh, it is viewed as, in a sense, the shaking that took place at that time. It's a bit like God's voice roaring. Uh, so in the Old Covenant, anything bad that happened to the people of Israel could be viewed, in a sense, as being part of God's curse against them. Today it's a little bit hard because we don't know for sure necessarily I would say earthquakes that do happen, sure, we can take them back to just the general curse upon the world that happened as a result of the fall of Adam. Anything more specific than that, I think it's a little bit hard for us to be able to say, oh, this definitely is God's curse for this particular sin. Unless we have some direct revelation from God about that, how can we really know? Okay. But whenever bad things happen, 
it's always a good time for us to just reassess our relationship with God and, and just to make sure, you know, that we're walking in his way. Uh, so sometimes God can use bad things that happen just as a reminder. And maybe you looking back on your own life, you can see certain times there when something bad happened because of a particular sin. But also bad things can happen without any direct link to particular sins as well. So it's hard to know. But in general, I would say when bad things happen, it's a good time for us to just reassess our relationship with God. Good point. All right. Uh, and the next question, uh, can you please explain verses 43 again? What does it mean about the land's Sabbath? Yes. So the idea is we would have seen this a few times going through Leviticus already. Remember how there are different types of Sabbath that Israel were to keep. There's the general Sabbath, which is the seventh day of every week that Israel was to keep. There are also some special holy days, which are treated as Sabbaths as well. And then there is the Sabbath, which was to be given to the land every seven years. Okay, so I remember John talking about that quite recently. John, do you remember that? Uh, yep, last week, I think. <laughs> was it last week? It was pretty recent anyway, yeah. So um, do you want to just recap what you said about this idea of the Sabbath for the land? Yeah, I can't remember if it was um, last week now, actually. <laughs> um, but it's like the um, God's kind of pattern of creation is marked everywhere. So we have it marking, or the, the Israelites had it marking their lives. They were meant to work six days and rest the seventh. Time was marked um, according to Sabbath times as well. So different parts of the year were meant to be, uh, made for rest and then the land itself uh, was meant to have rest every seven years and then an extra rest rest on uh, after seven sabbath years so on the 50th year and uh, part of the idea was that the israelites then um, they couldn't work they couldn't produce them food for themselves and it would force them to um, i guess enact uh, an act of obedience and faith within the covenant um, that they're in with God. So the, the question the Israelites asked was, um, what shall we eat on the seventh year? And God says, if you obey me, I'll give you so much food on the sixth year, a bit like what we covered today. I'll give you so much food on the sixth year that it'll last you three years. Um, so part of it was to, uh, I guess, for the earth itself to mimic God's pattern of creation. Uh, and then part of it was for Israel to enact um, obedience within the covenant. Yeah, so basically every seventh year there was to be a year-long rest for the land when the Israelites didn't go out actively to plant or to harvest. And so what we get here in Leviticus 26 is, is this kind of prophecy in a way. God knows that Israel aren't actually going to keep those Sabbaths for the land. And so then what happens is the time when Israel is kicked out of the land and goes off into exile, that is pictured as being a time of rest. And if you have a look at the end, the final chapter in Second Chronicles, and also it links in with Jeremiah as well. Jeremiah prophesies how there's going to be a 70-year period when Israel's kicked out of the land. So it's almost as if each of those 70 years equates to one of the years of the 
annual 70-year rest that the land didn't get, but now it's getting it because Israel's been kicked out of the land. So all of that time of exile is thought of as being a kind of rest for the land. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hopefully that answers that Hopefully. question. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. All right. Um, I don't know if there's any other uh, questions, um, but if that's the case, uh, we'll wrap it up. And yeah, thanks for that, uh, Reverend Steve. That's okay. All your insights.